Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 26 years of law enforcement analysis experience, all with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, here to talk about, among other things, her longevity and training new analysts, representing the always happening city of Miami, Florida. Please welcome Christine Casawana-Smith. Christine, how are we doing? Good, and you? I am doing well. How are things down in Miami? Very hot. Summer (laughs) is here. (laughs) I mean, is it ever not hot in Miami? Uh, it, it, it's not that bad during the winter. Yeah, when it, you say not it, that bad, what does not that bad mean in the winter? It's not 90 degrees. It's like 60? <laughs> yeah. It's like the lowest degree, the coldest it gets in Miami is like 60, right? Yes, but it's nice and it's comfortable. <laughs> now it's just, you, you just walk out and it's like this heat wave hits you. Yeah. It's too I, hot. I tell people I'm from Pennsylvania and I said, when you live in Florida, it's almost the exact opposite. Like when you live in Pennsylvania, you don't do anything in the winter because it's too cold. And in Florida, you don't do anything in the summer because it's too hot. You you hibernate in the summer. I agree. Yeah. So I I find it interesting with your career. As I mentioned, you uh, spent all 26 years with FDLE. And you've held various titles, and I, I always find that fascinating with with this profession that, that it seems like it's the same work, but it's called various different things. It, it is the same work. It's just at times they had names as the progression as you moved up the mm-hmm. ladder. They had different names. Now they've they've uniformed it. And we're all crime intelligence analysts. Okay. And there's crime intelligence analysts one and two, and then senior crime intelligence analysts one and two. Okay. All right. So, but at the time, at uh, one point, they weren't all uniform. Okay. All right. Well, we maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves there. First, tell me how you discovered the law enforcement analysis profession. Well, I've always, I grew up watching chips and emergency and and I always enjoyed watching those shows and when I graduated high school I didn't know what I wanted to do so I started community college and I ended up working with an attorney for almost six years okay doing real estate uh, law and I enjoyed the law and I decided you know it's time for me to get my degree and I decided and I went to FSU Go and got yes <laughs> and got my degree in criminology and while I was there my first semester my roommate boyfriend at the time was an agent <laughs> with FDLE and when I told okay. him I was studying criminology he started talking to me about FDLE so that's how I got to know about FDLE and while I was in school instead of interning I volunteered with the officer disciplinary section of the general counsel's office and what they did was they disciplined officers that had violated conducts against the rules of their profession and I really enjoyed it 
and came around time to graduate and started looking for a job. And I just started putting in for anything and finally got hired by FTLE as a secretary. So I started working here in Miami for the fraud squad, economic crime fraud squad, and started learning what an analyst was. I had never heard of it before. And each squad of the time had an analyst. So I started learning about it. And I was at the first five months of FTLE, I was OPS, which is like a temporary employment. I didn't have benefits or anything. And then there was an opening for secretary. So I applied for that. And there was an opening for a crime intelligence technician. And I applied for that and got hired as that. And that moved me to our Broward office. And what I did mostly was... uh, At the time, our database was just the beginning of a computer season because that was 1995. I I would index the people on reports to our system. So we had a record of every time that person was indexed in a report. So and was this mostly a data entry position then? It was like or? a data entry and I was in charge of the files room, keeping track of all the files and all the reports for the Broward office and the Key West office. Even though I was not in the Keys, I was also in charge of the Key West office. So while I was there, the two analysts that were there, Petra and Denise, started showing me what an analyst did. And I found it very fascinating. So when there was an opening, I put in for it and came out number one. Got promoted to analyst. And I've been an analyst since, and I love my job. <laughs> nice. So you graduate college and you're applying for different jobs. Don't let me put words in your mouth, but you're applying for different positions. And the only thing that what comes up is this is an admin secretary position. I mean, at the time, were you thinking like, oh, I can use this as a stepping stone or like, okay, I, I'm not really excited about this, but I need a job. Uh, it was a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't want to be a secretary anymore. But I figure I get my foot in the door and see what else opportunities there was. Because at the time, I didn't know all the different things that FDLE did. I was very limited in my scope of what FDLE did. So I figured I don't want to be a secretary, but I get my foot in the door and go from there and see what else I can get. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's how I got into FDLE. Okay. And then how do you feel that? being a secretary and then also being the technician helped you with your work as an analyst? I think it gave me uh, insight on how FDLE worked, how reports were written, the procedures, just the flow of how the squad worked and not doing that type, not doing analytical work, but the flow of of the squad and of FDLE as an agency. What kind of work are you doing in the beginning? This is 96, 97 now. And what kind of analysis are you doing? I was, when I got promoted, I got the violent crime squad. At the time, we were dealing with quite a bit of robberies, strong arm robberies. And we had a task force with multiple agencies here in Dade County. And my squad worked on that. And so I did pretty much anything 
criminal-wise in doing backgrounds, trying to associate people with cars, with houses, and that stuff to get them to see if there's a group, a gang, and that's how I started. Okay, all right. And so then you get promoted fairly quickly. In in 90, 97, you get promoted to Crime Intelligence Analyst 2. So now this is this is four titles <laughs> that you have <laughs> in just a very short time frame and yes so but that that's obviously good they have obviously saw your potential and saw that you were a good fit yes one of the things in FTLE is once you've done one year of uh, CIA one that's how we call it after you do your first year after that you get promoted to a CIA two once you met all the requirements that okay. could be analytical training classes you attend training we have within FTLE so usually it's it's pretty within the year year and a half you get promoted to a two I stayed at that time I was in violent crime and then right before I got promoted I got sent into public integrity okay and what so is I worked public integrity is public corruption. So so we worked cases against police officers, public officials. And so how did that go for you going from analyzing criminals to analyzing officers that broke the rules? It was totally different. I mean, totally different to one extent and then to another extent. They're breaking the rules, so it's not that different. One of the cases we worked with a gentleman who became involved with the CI of who he had. Mm. And with the local agency, they brought us the case. And it was following up. They did trash pulls, looking at financial records and stuff like that to see the pattern. He was working with her. It's sad seeing that, you know, you think police officers, but there's always a bad apple in there. Yeah. But it was, but it's, it's similar and it's not, you know, you might look at things a little differently, but it's pretty much the same. <laughs> it's a crime. It's a crime. So, yeah. So what was the outcome of that case? He got convicted. Mm-hmm. He got convicted and lost his certification as a police officer. I don't know what it is about Florida. I guess it's the guests that I have from Florida. It seems like all of the guests that I've had on the show thus far from Florida have dealt with public corruption. <laughs> so I don't, yep. I don't know if it's just Florida or it's just the people I'm talking to. I'm not no, sure it just seems Florida <laughs> seems to have that. All right. But this does lead us to your analyst badge story, which 1998, Miami. 1997 voter fraud. Yes. Elections of 1997. The city of Miami had two elections for commissioner. And after the election, we got word that there had been voter fraud on absentee ballots. Mm. And people voting, registering, originally registering in their, in their permanent home and mm-hmm. then switching it to a city of Miami address so they could vote in the election. So, so their, their permanent address was somewhere other than Miami? But correct. Then, okay. But they went ahead and switched it to an address in the city of Miami to be able to vote in this election. Okay. And the person, the commissioner that won was involved in it. And we ended up creating, I was looking at the case file just to, you know, since it's been so long ago, teams of agents 
working with going out to interview people, we inter we had over almost 3,000 reports in wow. the case file of, and I was the lead analyst because I was in the public integrity squad at the time. So it was my squad that was doing the investigation, but we were working with the state attorney's office, the supervisor of election, and looking at where people were voting from, switching their addresses, absentee ballots, did they really sign it or was it someone else who filled it out for them? It was a lot of work, a lot of hours, but it was an interesting case in the sense that you saw people that didn't think it was a big deal mm. and didn't think it was such a big deal that, you know, oh, so what? I wanted to vote for him, but who who cares, you know? And so in the end, he was convicted for voter oh. fraud and served 364 days in jail. That's that's interesting. So he obviously coordinated this. And so they went ahead and voted in their jurisdiction, but then would send in the absentee ballot into Miami for this. No, they voted. They wouldn't vote in their jurisdiction. They would change their address to vote in the jurisdiction of the city of Miami. Dade County is divided into 34 municipalities. Mm -hmm. So the city of Miami is just a part of Dade County. So they have districts and they changed their ballots from, let's say, Coral Gables, which is another municipality, to city of Miami to vote for this gentleman. Mm-hmm. to become commissioner was it all different addresses or yes. was there were they using oh, the was, same address there was there was some that were used over and over mm-hmm. but mostly different addresses they would even use business addresses and said that they spend the night there oh okay so okay. that actually had to be quite an operation right it was I mean, if you were going to do this to influence the results of the election you would have to do this with a lot of people there was a lot of people that were involved elder, elderly people mm-hmm. that help you know would tell their elderly friends here here's an app the valid sign it and and vote for so and so so there was quite a few people that were arrested and charged with voter fraud so what did the people that you know you mentioned the people that didn't think it was that big a deal to do to do this i mean what did they get in the end they got jail time Really? The ones that were convicted, jail time and probation. Wow. So how how long in jail? Do you know? A year. Really? It, yeah. Man, that, that's something else. We hear a lot in the news these days about voter fraud. At least the last four years seems like there's a lot of talk about voter fraud. And I, I guess I've probably naively feel that I was like, well, there's so many eyes on this stuff that if there was any kind of fraud, somebody would be able to figure it all out. I mean, what do you think about about that? I think there's always going to be voter fraud because there is ways of doing it. Absentee ballots, mostly the elderly that don't know, and then they get told, oh, here, let me help you fill out the ballot. And they fill it out and just say, sign here. I think that happens. But I don't think it's as widespread as it it was at a point, I think the the rules have tied in and they've become more of aware. So like I was looking at the case file and one of the things they had was a supervisor election went through and removed all these people that had switched addresses. 
Mm-hmm. And when we could prove that their permanent home was somewhere else, and none of them went to the meeting to fight it. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't all of them be up for jail time, though, wouldn't they? Right, but, you know, the state attorney is the one who decides if they're going to prosecute or not. So uh, hmm. we do our work and they make the decisions. Uh, hmm. So that would have been a lot. And that's always a it's always a good thing. We, we talk about a little bit on the show about when you have these big investigations and you're working with detectives and to make sure that you always get the district attorney and prosecutors on board. And in your case there, the attorney general, making sure that you're working hand in hand with them to make sure that uh, you guys are in sync with one another. Was there any direction that the attorney general gave you as an analyst, here's what we need to prove. Here's what you need to look for. That was given by my supervisor at the time. This is what we're looking for here. Here's, you know, looking, we would look at property appraiser, see where their homestead was, where the registered cars are, their driver's license, all that stuff. And if they could prove a lease or anything. And that's one of the things they tried doing was uh, fake leases, mm. saying that they lived at the place when they never lived there. Mm. All right. Moving on then. So in 2002, you get another title. <laughs> you are a government analyst one. Is this part of a new program with FDLA with the government analyst? No, at the time that was to, to move up, mm-hmm. that was the title that they had. Okay. So in 2002, I became, I put in for a promotion and it was right after 9 11. Mm-hmm. And they started the domestic security squads. Okay. So I put in for it and got it, started working domestic security. All right. So then what kind of task? One of the things that we created was a regional domestic security task force, which was multi, oh my gosh, the word just slipped my mind, multidisciplinary. So it was getting together fire rescue, law enforcement, campus security, maritime, Mm -hmm. everybody together to work together after 9-11. Was this physically so it was like a fusion center type situation no we didn't have a fusion center down here tallahassee Mm -hmm. our headquarters started one but we would have meetings Mm -hmm. now we have them quarterly where we have people from all the different disciplines working in work groups to continue to keep florida safe from me so if an incident occurs we have connections with fire department hazmat hospitals if anything incident we have our our regional partners that we can call on and that was created after 9-11 you didn't do the dishes Well, no, I was busy doing other chores, but my completed chores is up five in the last seven days. Yeah, but you're still down 13 over the last 28 days. Well, I see your shopping purchases is up 20% this month. My spending is still down year to date. In fact, my black shoe purchases are half of what they were this time last year. Well, thank goodness last year wasn't a normal year. Plus, I bought you new underwear, so your clothes purchases is up 40% this month compared to last month. Oh, wait. There were no clothes purchases the previous month, Miss Perfect. 
I didn't know you had the ability to divide by zero. You should be happy. Your temperature-led policing program has worked great in this house. I have not touched your precious thermostat in the last six months. Millions of homes in the U.S. are impacted by people wanting to be comfortable in their homes. Temperature-led policing, control the temperature, control the cost. Hi, this is Dawn Reby, 22-plus years in law enforcement analytics and CEO of Excellence in Analytics. And here's our public service announcement of the day. Hire a qualified coach. The process of growth and development is not easy, and quite honestly, many professionals in service-based industries have their wheels spinning for years. It just doesn't work. It doesn't get better. You can only see through your lenses. Hiring a coach is the best thing that I did years ago, and I still have one today. I love the clients we coach. They get results, and those results are real. They build confidence, they create better work-life harmony, they excel in their careers, and they simply have more joy. It is possible. Get yourself there faster by hiring a qualified coach. So then this gets you into working a variety of events then, correct? Yes. All right, let's go over some of those because I find them interesting. One of the events I worked was in 2003 FTAA, which was the free trade areas of the America. They held a meeting in downtown Miami and we had protesters that came and they put up fencing. They were, no, we put up fencing. <laughs> okay, that's why I figured, keep... but I figured I'd better clarify that too. I was like, no, oh. no, we put up fencing that they tried getting infiltrating into. And it was interesting in the sense that we were on the 23rd floor of the Intercontinental Hotel looking down on the Intel command post, looking down at them, throwing things at the officers who were in riot gears. That was one of the events I worked. I've worked multiple Super Bowls. Back to that, just I guess back to that real quick or then. (laughs) Are you working that in terms of... Gathering intelligence, watching the news, looking at what they're doing, having cameras set up throughout the downtown area. So regarding that, one of the questions I've always wondered is, obviously, in terms of a, a protest... I think a lot of cities and towns have this, okay, you can, you just apply to to protests at this time and all this other stuff, which is a right under the constitution. I understand that. Correct. But Correct. to me, there is a very clear line between protesting and rioting. Like when, in one example is that when you were just talking about throwing objects, right? That goes from protesting to rioting. You're damaging Correct. property or doing or doing anything of, of the like. And I always wondered, like to me, that is such should be such a clear line that yes, you're allowed to protest, but no, you're not allowed to riot. And in that point, there should be action against rioting. Correct. And that's what happened was they were given permission to to protest. That they weren't that wasn't taken away from them. They were given a permission. And told, this is the area you can be in. Mm-hmm. But they went beyond that and started throwing objects, feces at the officers, anything they could grab their hand on to throw. And that's when it escalated into a riot. Yeah. 
So then what was the police response to that once they started throwing objects? They tried to clear the area and have field forces that would, that would come in and riot gear and start clearing the area. Yeah. And so when you say clear the area, that means they're arresting people or... They arrested some and some they just, you know, pushed them back until they left. Oh, or at least went back to the assigned area. Correct. Correct. Hmm. And yeah, because it, it seems like all every one of those there's is is that the one that they always protest? It seems like every once in a while, no matter where that meeting is happening, there's a huge protest that usually gets pretty yes. feisty. Is that the one that's that yes. fits the case? Okay, I'm surprised cities even sign up for it. <laughs> like, no, thank well, you. I think I've... I I think they don't don't realize it at the time uh-huh. <laughs> that it's going to be that big of a deal. Yeah. Oh no, you know? it's like no no thank you. Yeah. We'd, especially like here in Miami, we don't have that much issues like that. Mm-hmm. So at that time it was we had never seen stuff like that get out of hand because that wasn't Miami, you know? Yeah. Hmm. All right. Interesting. All right. What were some of the other ones that you worked? Other events? Uh Super Bowls. Which which ones? Uh oh, I can't remember which ones, but I worked like four of them. <laughs> Look at you. Man. And when they've been held here in Miami. Okay. So in at that the command system- post. I was going to say, is there a command post that you go to? How There's close, a command post. How, how close no, are you? We don't, we're, we're not close to the game. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So. We have to watch it on TV. <laughs> Just like everybody else. All right. Yes. They take the fun out of it. Yeah. All I right. haven't been lucky enough to be assigned to the stadium. <laughs> Other than it obviously being the Super Bowl, I mean, in terms of, analysis work what were some of the takeaways what are the things that you remember about working super bowl intelligence wise we did a lot of intelligence checking finding out information about if there's going to be drones if there's going to be you know any fighting any gangs trying to find that out to keep the area safe okay did any of the super bowls have a pretty good threat no okay thank god (laughs) never that's interesting because i was thinking it reminds me, you know, obviously you everybody saw the Oscars probably and Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. I I was one of the things that people were saying they're like, oh, we didn't security didn't do anything because they didn't know it was part of the gag or or anything like that. Like it's as it's like security probably is not going to be told if what actually is is gonna go on, right? It's not something Correct. that you guys are privy to if there's something in terms of the Super Bowl happenings, right? If there's some programming things, you certainly get times when stuff's happening, but you probably not. They like to keep that tight lift of what actually is going to happen. So you guys are, are a little bit in the dark in terms of some of the festivities and, and happenings in the Super Bowl. Correct. But they have multi-events, so it's not just the Super Bowl. There's events leading up to the Super Bowl. So they have beach parties. They had like a fan zone. Mm-hmm. Or you could go and play, throw the throw the football and see different players and stuff like that. So there's yeah. different events going on, not just the Super Bowl. Yeah, when it was in Tampa Bay a couple of years ago, I took my son down there for the NFL experience. And it was fantastic to go through there and see the different obstacles. And we got to see all the 
Super Bowl rings on display and the trophy. So yeah, it is it is pretty cool. All right. All right. What other events? One of the things, one of the cases I worked early on in my career was the Gianni Versace murder. That was in 1997, July 15th, 1997. He was killed at the steps of his mansion here in Miami Beach. And I remember when it occurred, everybody's like, oh, who's that? You know, if you're not into fashion, you really didn't know who he was. And our PIO at the time said, we need to we need to see what's going on with this because this is going to be big news. And it ended up being that it was An- Andrew Cunanan who killed him and was ended up dying here in a houseboat in Miami Beach by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And we, for maybe a week and a half, we had a task force with Miami Beach. We were assisting them. So okay. so, to... so this wasn't a case that was directly assigned to you. You were in support of a different agency. Correct. I Which we do that a lot. Mm-hmm. If there's a big case that they need assistance in, we will come and assist the local law enforcement. That is one of the things that FDLE does okay. so and it's... helps with helps with multi-jurisdictional issues also. Okay. So In a case of a celebrity, I mean, how is this different? Not just so much, you know, this particular person, but but just dealing with a celebrity overall, how is how is it treated differently? It's not treated differently. You just do the work, you know. You're trying to find the the person who did this and it so happened to be someone famous, but you know. To me, I didn't even know who he was. I had never heard of him. So yeah. it was, I just did my work. Yeah. So what was, what was the work that you did do? Uh, we helped with looking at surveillance tapes and we worked with the agency just doing anything they needed us to do. One of the things that FDLE has is a leads tracking program and we've helped multi-agencies with that and incidents. And I'm the lead tracking administrator for down here for FTLE. I I didn't follow the case very much. What was this all about? Why did the murder occur? He didn't didn't like gay people, I believe Uh, it was. Um, And then, um, and I guess what I was getting at with being treated differently, you you get into area sensitivity and something like that, that's going to be headline news, world news. You know, you're going to have media all over it. You're going to have to have people that are going to be chomping at the bit for any information that that they can get their hands on. So I, I would imagine... In terms of analysts, I mean, this would be a time you got to remind yourself that be really careful what you talk about outside of work. Correct. And And that's, but that's with any case mm -hmm. because you don't know who's around you. Yeah. Uh, You never know who's around you. A perfect example I can think of not having to do with my work, but we were at a restaurant with my family and the table next to us was bad-mouthing some good friends of our family, not knowing that we knew them and knew exactly what they were talking about. That's that's a good way to ruin your dinner, right? (laughs) (laughs) So one thing is my husband was in law enforcement so he knew when I couldn't talk about stuff, I couldn't talk about it. So that worked to my advantage, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's understood. All right. Well, 
one of the roles that you have now, so you've moved up to government analyst two in 2007, and now in 2013, you're now the senior crime intelligence analyst two. I'm not making fun of all these different positions. It's great to actually see a path for analysts. Because there's a lot of departments out there that there is no career path at all for an analyst. So it's great that that, FDLE has these paths. Yeah, that's when in 2013 was when they unified it. Mm -hmm. And they created uh, Crime Intelligence Analyst 1, Crime Intelligence Analyst 2, Senior Crime Intelligence Analyst 1, and Senior Crime Intelligence Analyst 2, and then Senior Crime Intelligence Supervisor. Okay. All right. So that's when they unified it and made it all the same category. Okay. So that replaces the government analyst one and two? Correct. I got you. Okay. So because government analysts one and two still exist in the state of Florida, but they're not all analysts. They do other jobs. Oh, so that's, that's why it, it, they uniformed it and made it crime intelligence analyst. Hmm. All right. Well, what are the roles that you have now? as a senior crime intelligence analyst too, is that you're teaching the new analyst. Correct. And so I wanted to spend some time talking about that and just to get your perspective on, you know, teaching new analysts, what you're seeing that they're struggling with, what do they pick up easier that you're surprised that they pick up? Well, one of the things that, I mean, it's the differences from when I started to now is they're younger. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a different generation. That's true. True. So what do they struggle to pick up? Actually, they they pick up pretty quickly because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the things we do are computer-based. Mm-hmm. So they're used to that. So they pick up pretty quickly. Sometimes it's learning the procedures of FTLE that they might, you know, have issues with. But knock on wood, we've been lucky that the last analysts we've had have picked up and really run with it and shown that they can do it. So so what are some of the t- standards? Well, my first thing is what I tell everybody. If you want to be an analyst, you need to be curious. Mm. You want to find out stuff. You want to have that curiosity to find out stuff and not to be afraid to ask questions are the two things that I always tell first-time analysts. Don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid to to think you're stupid or anything like that it's not it's you you're learning a new thing Mm -hmm. which is totally different from everything else you've done yeah and i can understand that there is definitely some intimidation there especially when you're a new analyst and not wanting to make mistakes or coming off as asking a question you should know the answer to i think that's the biggest fear is asking a question that someone feels you should already have known. Right, and, and, and you don't. And that's what I tell them. It's okay. You, you're not going to know it, you know. You're not going to know the procedures we do. It's totally different from something else you would normally do. So, oh. but curiosity is my thing. I always tell them. I'm a very curious person. I like to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. In FDLE, do you have the the rank and file that you would, might see at other departments, either like state police or local? We, I mean, we have, like, I'm the most senior analyst in Miami because of my years in, but I have other people that are that are also the same rank as I am that have less years than I do just because they've moved up yeah. within the time frame, you know. All right. So when you're talking about asking questions to your new analysts, it's to other 
analysts in the office as opposed to them reaching out to maybe a sworn officer or somebody, a detective or somebody outside the office. Correct. Correct. Yes, it it would be within the office. I'm the most senior, so four other senior crime intelligence analysts too Mm -hmm. in the office, so they would ask them to. And it's who they feel more comfortable going to. When 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 an analyst starts, they sit with all the different analysts in the office to learn different areas of the job. So they they might feel more comfortable to asking this one than that one, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you feel you're like <laughs> they like people like coming to you? Yes. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Uh, because I'm straightforward and I just I tell them it's you know, this is this is the way we've been doing it or and I'm open to suggestions. I think that's one big thing, you know, that I listen to them. I don't turn them off just because they're new. And I guess for somebody that's looking to get into the field, what do you wish these analysts knew before they got to you? Go federal. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? Better pay. (laughs) Oh, man. So you're saying don't come to FDLE, go straight to the No, no. I mean, come to FDLE. FDLE is very flexible and it's a family. Mm Mm-hmm. And they really stand behind you. I've had multiple supervisors and been very lucky that they, you know, they've always stand behind me and supported me and encouraged me to do the best I can. So in Miami there for FDLE, how many analysts? 11. Okay. There's uh, one in Palm Beach, one in Broward, and everybody else is here in, my, in Miami. Hmm. We right. have Monroe, but they work out of here, out of our office. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, let's move on then and talk a little bit about ILEA. And you've been a member of ILEA since 2000, and you're Correct. also a member of the South Florida chapter of ILEA. And I I joke around that with Florida having both the North and the South, but this state is way too tall to house one chapter. If you're, if you want, if you want to meet in person, (laughs) you have to split it up because it's people in the panhandle and people in Miami might be on the other side of the planet. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I agree. We're, it's too we're too far away and we deal with different things and then then, so so is the divide between north and south where is that somewhere is it like gainesville it's like orlando orlando okay but we really don't have too many people from orlando because it's just even the distance yeah a three-hour drive. Yeah. So I guess with ILEA, you've been you've been a member since 2000, as I just mentioned. As a member, somebody that's just been part of this association for over 20 years. And what do you what do you think ILEA has done well in the last 20 years? I think they've brought the networking. That's one of the best thing about ILEA is that you can pick up the phone and say, "Hey, I'm a member. Could you help me?" Mm-hmm which is what we need sometimes. You know, we're looking for different states, different agencies to help us in locating information. That's what I did once when I had a with a California record and I couldn't understand it. And I called up and I said, could you help me? I don't understand this. And the person right away. Yeah, and you got their number from the directory with ILEA? Correct. Yeah, yeah, so... 
I think it's a great organization. It brings people together. We, we, I, I mean, I just met you in Dallas. And while we were there, I went with my supervisor and she's the chapter president for the South Florida. And Who, who's we that? Were, Christine Agaspada. Oh, yes. Yes. And she was sitting there and she's like, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. And she finally went up to him and says, where do I know you from? Well, they they did CrossFit together (laughs) and never knew he worked for CBP. Oh, that's funny. As an analyst. So we got to meet him and his co-worker. They're both from Miami. Nice. Nice. There you go. You had to go clear to Dallas just to meet your neighbor. To meet. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Good. Well, and I was really impressed with the showing of FDLE at the ILEA conference in Dallas. How many did you have? Like, it was 14. 14. 14. That's a really good showing there. I'm glad that as many analysts from FDLE are able to attend that training, that conference. Yeah, our, our past commissioner focused a lot on analysts and tried bringing it up and increase our salary and make sure we were getting the training we needed and the work, the the pro- programs and all that that we needed. They really focus on analysts. Good deal. I guess back to Ilea though, I guess the, on the t- other side of the coin then in the last 20 years, is there something that you wish Ilea would have done better or, or, even in the re- recent future does i i wish they would do more training web webinars okay just because it's hard you know nowadays to travel with Mm -hmm. the economy and all that everybody's you know cutting back but they've started doing more webinars i've been finding more webinars which are very good but i think it's a great organization yeah is there a topic that you're looking for in terms of a webinar? I'm pretty much open. Okay. Was there one in particular that you found useful? There was one that I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was very good. I'm drawing a blank on what it was, <laughs> but it was very good. Don't you hate that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was so good, you forgot the title. Yes. All right. All right. So let's finish up with personal interest then. And because you come from a fairly large family. And so that obviously has influenced you and takes up a significant amount of your time. Correct. (laughs) I am the youngest of six kids. Mm -hmm. I have 12 nieces and nephews and 13 great nieces and nephews. Wow. So we run the gamut from my parents have passed away, but my oldest sister is 72 and the youngest is four in the family. Wow. And then are you all, do you all live close? No, actually myself and my second sister lives here. My first sister and fifth sister lives in Orlando. Number three lives in Jacksonville and my brother lives in Atlanta. The only out-of-stater. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. And here locally, I have uh, six great nieces and nephews and my nephew and my niece who are both married and have kids. Everybody else lives further north. All right. And then how old your your oldest great great niece or nephew? My oldest great niece is going to be 15 in September. Man. Yeah. My my oldest niece is going to be 48. We're 7 years apart my oldest niece and I. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, cuz I have I have a great niece but she just turned 1. 
So <laughs> that's what I put that in perspective. So to me, it, it's it's kind of hard for me to comprehend at this moment, uh, a great niece that's 15 or to even have a niece that's within a decade of me. Yes. My oldest niece is seven, is seven years younger than me. Right. We went to a concert one time and I took her and she said to somebody, oh, my aunt took me. And they're like, your aunt? <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's only seven years older than me. <laughs> Great. Do you ha- host family reunions annually? No, we try getting together for the holidays. Mm-hmm. So usually my oldest sister holds Christmas and we try going there to Orlando. All right. Hmm. All right. Well, our last segment to the show is Words to the World. And this is where I give the guests the last word. Christine, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? Be kind to each other. There's too much heartache in today's world. So be kind to each other and be open to new ideas. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I do appreciate you being on the show, Christine. Thank you so much. And you be safe. You too. Thank you. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.